Welcome back Shit Detectives for part 2 of the Lucy Letby case. In last week's episode, we covered the heinous crimes and started discussing the investigation into the suspicions that Lucy was attacking the defenseless neonatal patients on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. The trigger warnings for this case are as follows. Neonatal death and murder, medical jargon, a bit about policies and procedures, mental instability. So, with that established, let's delve straight back in. Over to Turtle. A hospital visit ensued in February 2016, where the Care Quality Commission was informed of the difficulties that had occurred when staff attempted to raise concerns with managers, but they didn't hear any mention of the elevated mortality rate. The subsequent report identified issues of short staffing and an issue in skill mix within the unit, but the overall report praised the positive culture within the trust, stating that the staff felt well supported and able to raise concerns and develop professionally. Following the deaths of the two triplet babies over two days, the lead neonatologist phoned the duty executive and demanded that Lucy be removed from the unit. However, the duty executive insisted that Lucy was safe to work and that she was happy to take responsibility if anything happened to any more babies under her care. Following this, the trust's executive directors would convene to address the question regarding whether or not to involve law enforcement. Meanwhile, consultants requested management remove Lucy from the clinical duties pending an investigation into her conduct. In April 2016, she had been moved to not from night shifts to day shifts by the unit's ward manager, and in July 2016, Lucy was transferred to the patient experience team and then moved to the risk and patient safety office where she worked until 2018. Handing it to Echo. By the time they began to query this, seven babies had died unexpectedly within the unit. There was a growing belief among the executive directors as well. They believed that there were largely circumstantial indications of Lucy's involvement, and they had suspicions that certain doctors had embarked on a misguided witch hunt. They were predominantly concerned about the potential harm to the trust reputation, which would result from a police inquiry, and this led them to opting against engaging the police. Oh yeah, because its reputation is it's so intact now that they've let a serial killer go on for goodness knows how long and take goodness knows how many lives. Oh, I know. The medical director and chief executive decided that the best course of action would be to organise a review through the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. This was initiated in September 2016, and at the same time, unit services were scaled back in July 2016 so that they no longer accommodated premature births before the 32-week mark. They did this by redirecting such cases to other hospitals in the northwest of England. The Trust set a narrow scope for the review, so that it excluded investigating Lucy's actions or the deaths, and instead would focus entirely on the unit's general service. The subsequent report was provided to the medical director and chief executive in October 2016. They had been unable to find a definitive explanation for the sudden increase in mortality rate, but had found insufficient staffing levels and senior cover. The report from the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health recommended that a detailed care review of each individual death was undergone, 
And thus, the medical director requested that the neonatologist Jane Howden from Great Ormond Street Hospital carry out the case reviews. She responded stating that she was unable to conduct a detailed review due to not having the time available, but could provide a summary. She did this after briefly reviewing the notes and identified four cases that could potentially benefit from local forensic review as to circumstances, personnel, etc. Regardless of the thorough external independent review that had been recommended by the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health or the forensic review that had been recommended by Horden, records of the hospital board meeting show the medical director told board members that their reviews had concluded that the deaths in the neonatal unit were due to issues with leadership and timely intervention. Then in September 2016, Lucy raised a formal grievance regarding her late June transfer to the hospital's risk and patient safety office. This was upheld by the board in the January 2017 after determining that her removal had been orchestrated by the consultants with no hard evidence. They then supported her return to the neonatal unit and then further, furthered it by offering a place, her replacement at Alder Hayes Children's Hospital in Liverpool along with support to develop advanced practice or a master's degree. The medical director even commented in the report that the intention of the trust was to protect Lucy from the allegations. On the 22nd of December 2016, the chief executive met with Lucy and her parents to apologise on behalf of the trust and offered their assurances that the doctor who had made the allegations would be dealt with. Are you fucking... Jesus H. No, no. This actually happened. Just making sure you everyone's aware of that this actually happened as disgusting and abysmal as it is i think it should be just so guilty Jeez. he would later he would later order the consultants who were simply concerned for the safety and well-being of the very lives of their patients to send a letter of apology to lucy which they did in february 2017 then in March, consultants requested management involved the police after receiving advice from the regional neonatal lead who suggested that they needed to undergo a further investigation. On the 27th of April 2017, they were able to raise their concerns despite Lucy being due to return to work on the 3rd of May 2017. The Trust publicly announced the involvement of the police in May 2017 and stated that this move was simply to seek assurances that would enable them to rule out unnatural causes of death. The subsequent police investigation was named Operation Hummingbird, with the senior investigation officer Paul Hughes later stating the initial focus was around the hypothesis of what could have occurred. So the generic hypothesis of it could be natural occurring deaths, it could be natural occurring collapses, it could be an organic reason, it could be a virus. And then one of those hypotheses was obviously that it could be inflicted harm. Lucy was arrested on the 4th of July 2018. It reported that her father watched her being taken away by the police. Lucy had two training placements which would come under investigation after her conviction. These were at Liverpool Women's Hospital in late 2012 and early 2015. Following her arrest, a note of medications that had been given to baby M was found by police among other items under Lucy's bed. 
It was a record of the emergency drugs provided to the infant written on a paper towel during his 30-minute resuscitation at the Countess of Chester Hospital's neonatal unit. She also had the blood She also had the blood gas reading for child M. In the same bag was a number of shift handover sheets as well. These should never have left the hospital as this directly goes against trust policy. The policy regarding handovers states that these should be done in a way that maintains patient confidentiality, but also ensures that all information that is relevant to the optimum care of the patient is provided. To maintain patient confidentiality, NHS policy states that handover sheets must be disposed of in a confidential waste bins at the end of a shift. This is so that the confidential information on the handover sheet can be disposed of so that no one can obtain them. I'm pretty sure they incinerate them. Lucy had a total of 257 such sheets in her possession. These handover sheets contain the names of the children cared for on a given shift, 21 of the sheets including the names of babies it is believed she had harmed. Though Lucy would deny that she had purposely collected them, had this actually been the case, she should have returned them to the hospital to be disposed of and reported it as a potential breach in confidentiality. I didn't intend to take them home, I just took them into the changing room and put them in my bag. Yeah, I mean, I am aware that like things like this can occur by accident. Um, sometimes you can put them in your uniform, put a piece of paper with confidential information in your pocket for that shift and then forget it's there. But it should always be reported as an incident. It should be returned and it should be disposed of. And I'm, like I've previously mentioned, I'm pretty sure that they incinerate all confidential documents. Or they put it in a washing machine. <laughs> Maybe. I'm pretty sure it's that they incinerate them though. Well, since we seem to have reached a bit of a natural breaking point, how about I give you the quiz answer? So let's take a brief break and give you guys the answer to last week's true, true crime quiz question. But as a quick recap, last week's question was an anagram for you to rearrange. Admonish Ralph for the name of another highly prolific British serial killer with a medical bent. Congratulations if you commented Harold Shipman, then you were right. Well done. It's time to go and make yourself some hot chocolate with marshmallows because you deserve it. And don't forget to click that like button to stay tuned for the next quiz question. That'll be later in this episode. Now back to the case as we cover court. The key evidence in the prosecution case were as follows. The medical records were absolutely crucial in order to establish the condition of the babies when Lucy had attacked them. When some of the babies recovered, the speed of their recovery was just too fast to be seen as a natural occurrence. Several medical documents featured falsified notes that had been made by Lucy in order to hide her involvement. She went as far as to amend timings on multiple documents, which was deemed as an attempt to distance herself from the suspicious incidences where babies suddenly became severely unwell. 
The text messages and social media activity of Lucy were also an important feature of the prosecution's case as they coincided with the attacks occurring on the neonatal unit. These were dated and timed and sometimes they appeared similar to a live blogging of events. All of this also explained how Lucy managed to deceive her colleagues into believing that the inexplicable collapses were actually a natural worsening of the children's underlying health conditions and nothing to do with her despicable involvement. They also revealed an intrusive curiosity about the parents of the babies she had attacked. Then there were the staff rotors, which were able to show the jury that Lucy was the only common denominator in the series of deaths and sudden collapses occurring on the neonatal unit. It also showed that many of the earlier incidences occurred overnight, but then when Lucy was put onto the day shifts, the collapses in the deaths abruptly began to occur in the day instead. This was further corroborated using Lucy's personal diary, which she had written in her shift patterns. Speaking of which, there were handwritten notes and diaries which were discovered by police during their investigation. Such phrases had been written in them by Lucy as, quote, I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. Or, I am evil, I did this. And, today is your birthday and you are not here and I am so sorry for that. They provided an insight into her mindset following the despicable acts. Early on in the trial, the, co- the court heard how Lucy's parents had previously aided Lucy in securing a letter of apology from senior doctors who had dared to raise concerns about her. Her parents had even gone as far as to threaten to report them to the General Medical Council. The couple stood by her side since the day of her arrest and throughout the case continued to maintain her innocence. Throughout the trial, they even went to the extent of renting a flat nearer to Manchester Crown Court simply so that they could attend the trial every day. However, despite all of this, her parents chose not to attend her sentencing. So much like their daughter, they were not present in court to hear the testimonies from the victim's parents. It's said that when all the verdicts were made public, her mother was crying in her husband's arms and shouted, You can't be serious. This cannot be right. That's me biting my tongue, by the way, dear listeners. I don't blame you, to be fair. I think I bit my tongue a lot while writing this, just out of the pure frustration and anger. Now you understand why I always write sarcastic comments in the brackets. Oh, I already knew that anyway. I've written enough scripts, but... Oh, yeah, no, I know. Cases like this are where I get really sarcastic tangent in brackets. (laughs) I couldn't even do that with this case. I was just so upset. If I don't know how else to put it, I was devastated for the parents reading it. I wanted to hit someone. And I'm not a violent person. I wanted to hit someone. And I am a violent person. You know, in the sense of, generally speaking, if I get frustrated, I will pinch a pillow or something. I have to be physical to get it out, that's why I run. Yeah, I get that. 
While speaking at her trial, Lucy said that after her arrest, her father made her bed for her while he had been staying the night after taking her home from a, ha uh, from a family holiday. Okay. Oh, that's nice. So her parents grieving their, their, their children, but she gets a nice family holiday. This nice little killer's holiday. Oh, yeah. The prosecution was able to present evidence to the court of Lucy using a variety of methods to attack babies. These included the injection of air and insulin into their bloodstream, the infusion of air into their gastrointestinal tract, force feeding an overdose of milk or fluids, and impact type trauma. Her intention had been to kill the babies while deceiving her colleagues into believing the deaths were natural. Lucy Letby was found guilty for the murders of baby A, baby C, baby D, baby E, baby I, baby O, and baby P. She was found guilty for the attempted murders of baby B, B baby F, baby G, baby L, baby M, and baby N. She was found not guilty of attempted murder for baby H, however, it was a hung jury regarding the second attempt on baby H's life. There was also a hung jury for baby J, baby K, and baby Q. So, this is going to be a little tangent from me following this on policies and procedures. The NHS Patient Safety Strategy describes how the NHS will continuously improve patient safety and will build on the foundations of a safer culture and safer systems. It states on their website, quote, patient safety is the avoidance of unintended or unexpected harm to people during the provision of care. We support providers to minimize patient safety incidents and drive improvements in safety and quality. Patients should be treated in a safe environment and protected from avoidable harm. In this case, there were fundamental failures to achieve this as concerns were raised, ignored, and patients subsequently died or were seriously injured for the rest of their lives. So in this section, I'm going to discuss some of the policies in the NHS and perhaps how things could change to prevent such failures in the future based off their own existing policies. And I'm going to go off their controlled drug policy. So, as this is not the first time that insulin has been the chosen drug of choice, perhaps it would be worth taking similar precautions to controlled drugs, which are already in place. According to NHS policy, controlled drugs must be kept in a cupboard that is only used for search and should be locked at all times with a lock that must not be common to any other lock in the hospital. All controlled drugs must be kept in their original packaging. They also have controlled drugs books, which are used to record receipt and administration. Controlled drugs in areas like theatres are counted every morning at the beginning of a shift and every evening at the end of a shift, with two members of qualified staff present during the count. This could be incorporated as a policy for insulin. This has been the chosen drug for both Beverly Ellett and Lucy Letby. It would ensure that if any insulin is unaccounted for, it is recorded so that should such a thing occur in the future, it is easily and swiftly detectable. But that is just one suggestion being put forward by me as a potential way of preventing such occurrences in future. I do have further ideas regarding Lucy's other methods used, but I'll save going into a lecture for another episode. 
Now, over to Turtle with the media coverage. Dawn, a friend who knew Lucy from school, said that I grew up with Lucy and not a single thing that I've seen or witnessed of Lucy would let me for a moment believe that she's capable of the things that she's been accused of. It's the most out-of-character accusation that you could ever put against Lucy. That's what everyone said about Ted Bundy, yet here we are. Think of your most kind, gentle, soft friend and think that they're being accused of harming babies. Unless Lucy turned around and said, I'm guilty, I will never believe that she's guilty. Hmm, that strikes me as a Charles Manson thing. When approached by another publication to ask whether she maintained her stance ahead of Lucy's sentencing, she replied, I stand by that statement. Janet Cox, another one of her close friends and former nursing colleague, regularly appeared in court alongside Lucy's parents. When approached by a publication outside her home and asked if she still believed in her friend's innocence, she replied, yes, but refused to elaborate. There were many that knew there were many that knew Lucy that were interviewed by the media and many of them stood by the belief that she was innocent of crimes that she was accused of. Lucy was headline news and everyone wanted the inside scoop on the serial killer nurse. She's been described as persistent, calculated and cold-blooded by the newspapers as many questioned whether she could have been stopped earlier. There were headlines on the day of her sentencing, like that from The Guardian titled Britain's Worst Child Serial Killer, Nurse Guilty of Seven Murders, alongside a large image of Lucy, aged 33. Stories included interviews with whistleblowers who claimed that the babies would have survived if the hospital executives had acted earlier on concerns. Another came from The Telegraph, whose headline read, NHS ignored warnings that left nurse free to kill again. Or the headline from The Express, which read, Murdered babies should have been saved. Or the Daily Mail's headline, which read, They had ten chances to stop her. There were many headlines that focused predominantly on the culture within the NHS and how it was due to the attitude of the executives that she had managed to get away with such heinous crimes and caused harm to so many. Who could blame them? Having covered the history of events, there were many opportunities where those babies could have been saved and Lucy's spree of attacks could have ended. Yet these headlines will probably fade into the distant memory as the trust claims that they will, quote, learn from the mistakes that were made. The questions we are going to put to you at this moment are, is that enough? Will they actually learn from this or will it be swept under the rug given time? What do you all think? I'm just going to put a quick insert in before I actually, you know, um, start on our next bit. Um, in an ideal world, well, they're trying to make out that it's all the executive's fault, this, that and the other. But you also have to consider the trust funding. And simply put, in an ideal world, there'd be one unexplained death and there'd be a whole inquest into it and by the third baby you go yep yeah, there we go off it there, there, there's a circumstance there that needs to be dealt with and off they trot but for the longest time the nhs has been 
underfunded and this is one of the prime examples of things that fall through the cracks because there isn't the funding in place and they have to prioritise. So something as simple as an inquest into what's gone on, it's it's deemed a simple administrative task that they dealt with or it will just go away on its own. And in this case, it led to all of these unfortunate deaths and all of this occurring and Lucy being left on the loose so much longer I would disagree are the execs definitely the the execs definitely have a hand in it but they were putting concerns forward there was a serious worrying pattern emerging and yet they were forced to give an apology there were many opportunities where had the executives actually pulled their fingers out of their bums and did their jobs, she would have been stopped and babies would still be alive that are not with us today. Yes, definitely. And I definitely agree that, with that. But what... I'm going to say that stems from a culture and an attitude within the NHS management and executives. Purely and simply, it is nothing to do with funding. Absolutely nothing. And I'm going to go into this in my opinion piece, but there is a culture that should you ask the hard questions, if a drug goes missing, if you ask how could that have gone missing, you're in the wrong. If you ask questions regarding incidences that should not be happening, should policy and procedures be actually followed, you are in the wrong for asking those questions. People face disciplinary action for that, simply for asking a quest- the questions that should be asked. Well, not working from not working within the NHS myself, I wouldn't be able to comment on that type of culture and stuff. But surely that type of culture needs to be investigated as to where it's come from, why it's there in the first place, because that allows people like Howard Chipman, like Beverly Allett, like Lucy Letby, like whoever comes next in this long line of m- medical tyrants, that will there will unfortunately be others. And you have to look into it and go, why is this not changing? Why is the policy not changing? Why is the attitude not changing? Um, I believe that, yes, you're, the, the attitude that you're reporting is there and it is present, but some of the contributory things towards that attitude are going to be stuff like funding. So this troublesome pattern has arisen. People are getting disciplined, people are getting complaints, and they're going, well, if we get a bad rep, we're going to lose money. We're going to have to make, um, like, compromises and they decided that patient safety was where they were going to compromise, which should never, ever be the case. The thing is as well is, if a controlled drug is reported missing, the police are informed straight away. Like, there is police involved. 
and there's no issue with funding there but should doctors bring up concerns and it be repeatedly advised this should be investigated and they didn't that to me is unforgivable of the executives and the management oh it is there's, they've definitely got a massive massive portion of of blame they definitely do there does seem to be a bit of a coddle lucy culture going on here yeah but it's not just coddle lucy it like i say if if there is an incident that has to be investigated by police if the, or has to be investigated if there is an incident there is a huge coddle culture in my opinion from what i've seen do you lose your job if you just go straight to the police? I think you would, yes. I don't know for certain, but I think you would. In my opinion, it'd be worth it if I thought I had a serial killer on the loose in my ward. Anyway, moving on before I give my entire opinion away, before the our <laughs> thoughts and opinions. So it's that time in the episode where we give you another true crime quiz question. So come on, you fellow shit detectives. Let's see what this week's question is. What was one nickname given to the charismatic serial killer enforcer Charles Sokaraj, who terrorised Southeast Asian hippie trail in the 1970s? The moniker was also the title of a BBC slash Netflix series starring Jenna Louise Coleman as Sokaraj's girlfriend. If you think you know the answer, please comment in the comment section below if you're listening to us on YouTube or TikTok, or comment it on our other social media platforms, and stay tuned for next week's episode to see if you got it right. And while we are here, we're just going to give you that little reminder that if you like this episode, please click that subscribe button and give us a like. Perhaps share us with your friends. Now, back to the case discussing corporate manslaughter. So I've already given a little bit of a teaser that there is an investigation. And here we are. This year, the hospital where Lucy worked is now under investigation for corporate manslaughter. Following the murders of seven infants, Cheshire Police confirmed in a statement obtained by People that they are now carrying out an investigation at the healthcare facility. Detective Superintendent Simon Blackwell said, the investigation will focus on the indictment period of the charges for Lucy Letby from June 2015 to June 2016 and consider areas including senior leadership and decision making to determine whether any criminality has taken place. In the statement, he went on to say, at this stage, we are not investigating any individuals in relation to gross negligence manslaughter. A public inquiry has also been launched and will investigate whether NHS managers missed opportunities to stop Lucy's murderous spree. The statutory inquiry was launched by ministers after Lucy's conviction and it will probe the conduct of staff at the hospital, including board members, managers, doctors, nurses and midwives while Lucy was employed there. It will also include examining the following whether suspicions should have been raised earlier, if Lucy should have been suspended sooner and whether police should have been informed sooner, the response from the managers at the hospital to 
concerns that were raised about Lucy and whether the trust culture contributed to the failure to protect babies from Lucy. Here's the clue. Yes to all, but maybe not the suspicions one. I totally agree. It will also look at the experiences of the parents of the babies. More widely, at the effectiveness of the NHS structures and regulations in place to protect babies in hospitals. Staff working at the Countess of Chester Hospital will be asked a series of questions, including what were the concerns and what, sorry, what concerns were raised and when about the conduct of Lucy Letby, by whom were they raised and what was done? What was known and what should have been known about her previous work as a nurse when she commenced employment at the hospital? What was the board's involvement in the way the concerns regarding Lucy Letby were dealt with by the hospital? What happened to those who raised concerns about Lucy Letby? In September 2023, the Court of Appeal confirmed that they had received an application from Lucy for permission to appeal her conviction. Not only this, but it may also, but it's also been reported that Lucy is facing a retrial over the attempted murder allegation relating to Baby K, a baby girl born in February 2016. A provisional date has been set for the 10th of June 2024, which is at Manchester Crown Court, and it's estimated that this will last up to three weeks. The next part is all yours, Turtle. Take it away. Thank you. So we've had a lot of medical jargon. Let's mix it up a little bit and put in some psychology. Specifically, the criminology study into what are known as the angels of death. So angels of death are what we in the criminology world call people uh, who work in the medical field and uh, attack their patients for reasons various. Angels of death like Lucy Letby often gain a bit of notoriety among their colleagues before their crimes are exposed. According to new research into the characteristics of such serial killer nurses, it has been found that they hold a morbid they, they tend to hold morbid conversations with the grieving relatives. According to the criminologists who were studying the traits of healthcare professionals who became serial killers, they found that most craved attention tended to switch hospitals frequently, had disciplinary issues and liked to talk about death or would exhibit odd behaviour when someone dies. In the research conducted by criminologists from Birmingham City University, they examined 16 convicted male and female nurses who had been murdered within a hospital. Between these killers, they had more than 120 patients. Most commonly, the method used was poisoning, and this led to the research stating the importance of monitoring access to drugs within hospitals and how it cannot be overestimated. Insulin overdose was the most common method, and it was used by a quarter of the healthcare serial killers, though other substances were used, which, which included muscle relaxants, opiates, potassium, and bleach. It was only in one case, the case of Beverly Allen, who combines the other methods alongside poisoning, which was namely suffocation. This research also identified a series of common criminological and sociodemographic characteristics 
which were prevalent among offenders. These included difficulties in developing personal relationships, a history of mental instability and a likelihood of switching hospitals frequently and a preference for night shifts. This is thought to, min to be to minimise the likelihood of being caught. However, it is important to note that the criminologists say that their study does indicate that just because a nurse is on duty when deaths occur is not sufficient in itself to indicate guilt. In the study, it urges that the attendant data should be treated with caution as evidence in the investigation and prosecution of suspected healthcare serial killers. A spike in the number of deaths on shift of a suspected healthcare serial killer may well be an indicator of wrongdoing. However, this should only be used in combination with other types of evidence, which may include some of the more common red flags we have discovered in our sample. David Wilson, Professor of Criminology at Birmingham City University, said the authorities and law enforcement agencies should look for a cluster of factors to indicate if there is a murderer at work. Healthcare serial killers are an extremely rare phenomenon, contrary to the public perception. Thank you, Turtle. That was really interesting. Um, I'm just going to put an insert here because I don't know where else it would fit, really. Um, sometimes a death can also go down as unexpected or unexplained at a family's request. Sometimes it's medical professionals that it is a bit more expected. And it's a phenomenon in death known as the surge. Um, basically a person is dying or seems to be you're, you're seemingly told to prepare for the worst and then all of a sudden they're back to normal and they're their old chirpy selves um, and their body seems to be recovering it's like the body gives one last push one last surge of energy to try and be okay again um, and that can last a period of time it varies um, and then they die and sometimes that's hard for the family members so families they pull it down as they, they, they request it to be noted as unexpected or unexplained because they can't process or they don't understand that it's the search it's common in a lot of deaths um, but it's most noted in hospitals because hospitals are where people tend to be for a lot of the attending of death. That is really interesting. Thank you for that. No problem. It's a really interesting topic to delve into the way that the minds of serial killers work. And, uh, you know, I like to try and normalise topics about death and the processes of death anyway. So... With that done, now on to our thoughts and opinions. So I'm going to start because, well, this case really pissed me off for a number of reasons. So this case just proves the ongoing hide it under the rug culture that is within health and social care that we are seeing so frequently in the UK. Pencil pushers keep telling us that they'll learn from the mistakes that were made, but in my opinion, they never do. There needs to be an attitude to improve and actually learn from the mistakes. 
In my opinion, management were too quick to shut down investigations and weren't willing to ask the hard questions. And those that were willing to ask them were shoehorned. In, in, in industries like aviation, for example, improvements are constantly made because when people die, they ask the hard questions, they learn from the mistakes made, and they implement safety measures so that it doesn't happen again. And when I say the hard questions, I'm talking, they ask the questions of how did it happen? What human flaws were made to learn from it? So there's examples of cruise ships that have gone down and they have learned from those mistakes by questioning the staff and it has been it would have been rigorous to go through those sorts of questioning and would have taken an emotional toll from what i can gather those that ask the hard questions because they want to learn from those mistakes to prevent them from happening again they often get disciplined and they and they're told that they shouldn't be asking those questions or trying to learn from it because of X, Y, or Z. Had they simply done a thorough investigation into the deaths when a visible pattern had started to emerge, more babies would still be alive today. Those that do notice these patterns, again, they shouldn't be crapped on for it. It's part of their role. It's part of their responsibility. Their responsibility is to protect patients. It's the responsibility of everyone in healthcare to protect and care for patients. To truly begin improving healthcare and prevent such atrocities from occurring, those that are willing to ask the hard questions and voice their concerns should not be silenced. They should be encouraged and if they are wrong, then there will be something that can be learnt from it for all staff. For instance, if a drug error could have occurred, say for instance a drug has gone missing, that could be an opportunity for all staff to learn and grow from. How did the drug go missing? Why did it go missing? Have the investigation, have people learn from it, not just the individual who is who was a part of it or the individuals that were a part of the incident, but all the staff in the department could learn from that so that it doesn't happen again. Because drugs can go missing and it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's stolen it. You know, accidents and mistakes happen in healthcare because we are human, but to actually learn from it means that the staff in on the ward, in that area, in that field, all of them could learn from it so that it doesn't, it isn't repeated. Personally, if I were one of the staff involved, I'd have been asking questions and I'd have been looking for patterns or ways to prevent further incidents. However, I also know that those in healthcare try to do that and someone higher up in management is always there to tell them they shouldn't be trying to learn from that because it is not their place. They were looking at the deaths, there was an increase in deaths. They know what the death rate should be, what is normal or in, within normal parameters because everything is a parameter. 
And this was abnormal. There were far too many deaths in far too short a time period. Still have an investigation and just be on the cautious side because at the end of the day, you are dealing with patient lives and that should come above people's feelings. I'm sorry, it should. As hard and as horrible as it may feel, <laughs> your feelings in retrospect to somebody's life, it doesn't matter because that person's life matters. Their families matter. The effect of a death is far greater than just a few hurt feelings. And you can rebuild relationships afterwards if you are understanding of this was done in the best interests of our patients. The issue is you are never in the correct position. Either you're just a student, just a nurse, just a doctor, just an ODP, just a HCA. Shouldn't matter your position. If you are willing to learn from it and you are wanting to look into it because you find something isn't right, it could it could just be that somebody's been failing to record controlled drugs, for instance. Regardless of what the issue is, if you feel that there is something amiss going on, that something is not being a protocol is not properly being followed, or something like that, you should be allowed the opportunity to ask questions and find and learn from it and everyone should be given that opportunity to learn but that's just my opinion their feelings are getting priority definitely got priority over patient lives in this case and that is wrong and that is something that needs to be looked at needs to be addressed and it needs to change but that's just my opinion Honestly, this entire case has had me biting my tongue at one point so verb so hard I had to actually verbally get a bit of it out. If you're very good at speaking in non-verbal hums and dums, you'll probably hear the exact words I was saying. Unless Sound Wizard is very nice and decides to edit it out for me. But this is the first modern day serial killer that I remember being apprehended and going to trial for. And all I could think at the time was those poor family members and those poor staff members who must all be feeling such survivor's guilt at the moment. Such a feeling of, could I have done more? And the answer is kind of, Yes, but also no. Parents, you pr probably couldn't have. Maybe you could have asked for an inquiry, but honestly, you had other things on your plate. You're not going to think of it. And I hope that that is a kind of reassurance to those parents. The staff members through though it's not your fault i am curious as to why those who were made to write apology letters and who were essentially waved off by administration didn't go to the police or why the police weren't informed after their attempts to do it by the book so to speak 
fell through and they were blamed. Maybe they were intimidated or gaslit. I wasn't there, I can't say. I could offer speculation and a pot to stir, but... I'm pretty sure they were threatened with disciplinary action. Honestly, to save lives, I would take all the action in the world and lose my job. I know it's not the day and age where we can all just do that willy-nilly, but I would. Maybe in line with that, we should be looking to the police and exploring options of and methodologies of ways to protect NHS staff who do go to report so that they can go to report it to the police and not risk their entire career. Um, so that instead of getting the managers say, yeah, it's okay, come do it. Well, this is this is an investigation. This, you know, what, like try and get their approval. It's not going to happen because. It's just not going to happen, apparently. Rather than waiting for the management to actually pull their fingers out their asses and their heads from their asses at the same time, the police were already there. The police were already aware of it, and they go, "You've got a, you've got something going on. You need to be having a look at it. Whatever the reason, you need to be having a look at it, and we'll be here to offer assistance if you need it." type thing like this has been drawn to like it's been drawn to our attention that neonatals had a number of deaths that are unexplained and unexpected and that's something you should be investigating maybe then the management would have pulled their fingers out See, like I say, for me personally, I feel that there is a bit of a coddle culture. I get that we have to be considerate of how other people feel. But if somebody's asking questions because it is an opportunity to learn, that should be welcomed. Because that's not necessarily directed at a member of staff. It could just be that they're trying to learn and they shouldn't be shut down from tr for trying to learn from mistakes that have been made. In incidences where there are unexpected deaths, um, there's instances with dr controlled drugs going missing or incidences, needle stick in injuries. There is always an opportunity to learn. And yes, some people will ask the hard questions that might get people's backs up, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a no-no it should be something that yeah this happens because this has happened because of x this has happened because of y but if you can't give that definitive answer then it is a question that really needs to be asked and why are people not asking it why are they the ones that are asking it being told that they shouldn't be Does that make sense? Yeah. And to me, there were doctors, when I was reading about this case, there were doctors, there were nurses, there was Letby's colleagues 
were asking these questions and being told to shut up because there wasn't a definitive answer. But instead of looking into why was there not a definitive answer, what was actually going on, they were told to shut up. It's unforgivable in my opinion. That's what I mean. They got nowhere of management. Management told them to shut up. And I think in that situation, you go, there should be a way to protect the informant, so to speak, the whistleblower, and go have them go to the police and say, look, something's not right here. I don't know what. It's not my purview to know what. But this isn't right. This isn't there's something going on and it seems like it's got everything to do with this one nurse who is always on spoke to my management about it and they've told me to shut up but I couldn't in good conscience not go to the police in that situation so maybe the police needs to find a way where somebody's job isn't completely jeopardized and they can protect people who are going to come forward and that will help reduce the serial killers because there will be a like investigation there are more than the ones we know about you know the big ones like Beverly Allett, Harold Shipman Lucy Letby there are more than them um We'll be covering more in depth on the aftermath of Beverly Allett in, I think it's next week's episode, um, because there was a lot of changes made after Beverly Allett and Harold Shipman, but I'm not seeing much talk about what to change after Lucy Letby. And as we've covered in this episode, like the one drug that is used most is insulin. So why are we not putting more procedures and more caution in when it comes to insulin? And you'd have to do the same with potassium. Because that would be the one they'd go to next. Yeah. But you know what I mean? We would have... There has to be new protocols put into place and they can use the existing policies they have and just tweak them a bit I know it's a bit more paperwork but it's clearly needed so that these sorts of things can be detected a heck of a lot faster I mean can you imagine if it was written in a controlled book in a book every day at the start of the shift and at the end of the shift if it, on the insulin count and then one goes yeah. missing you would know that that one insulin has gone missing by the end of the shift if there has been a collapse you would know on that shift you would know that there could have been some sort of link to do a pathology it makes it so much quicker so much more efficient you so much easier to detect You know, if you find that insulin is going missing, but there hasn't been a collapse, then an investigation can ensue as to why that insulin is missing. So that it's detect 
it's tracked down so much faster. But that's just my yeah. opinion. Again, like I say, yeah. if it's more, if it's quicker to detect, quicker to inform police, quicker to, quicker to stop the assailant. Did they question her sanity at all, Lucy's sanity? I couldn't really like find much about that. Couldn't really find much about that, but I think it's pretty common for those that work in healthcare that become, you know, killers that generally they have some form of Munchausen's, but I couldn't find anything regarding Lucy. I would say that would make me inclined to say no, because they try and give Munchausen's the worst rapper ever. But sometimes Munchausen's can literally just be like health anxiety. It's like hypochondriasm. Like really intensely hypochondriasm. You know, Beverly Ellett is... Um, suffers with Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Yeah, that's why I was. That's what made me think of it because I was thinking of Beverly Allen, and I was. It just made me go. Do we know if Lucy has it? It's quite possible. Anyway, shall we leave it at that? Yeah, a thinking point for our viewers. Do you think Lucy Lepley has Munchausen syndrome? Let us know in the comment section below. Do you think it's just anxiety? I'm inclined to think it's just anxiety given her notes. It's not, I did it to help you, I'm sorry. You know that, it's I killed you because I'm evil. Uh, anyway, that's a wrap for this episode. If you like this episode, please give us a like, a comment and a subscribe. If you're joining us on YouTube and if you're joining us on another platform, give us a rating and a follow. It helps with the boosting in the algorithm. Please don't forget to join us on other social media platforms such as Facebook, TikTok and Instagram and threads whenever I re uh, remember that it exists. Um, we hope to see you again next week. Uh, also, please don't forget to share us amongst your friends. You never know who's going to be the next shit detective. Bye. Bye.